You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, getting my voice back uh, almost, so that's good news. Um, this is our last Sunday of our series at the movies, and uh, it's been fun. And um, uh, we have one, one more installment for you today. And then just, uh, just a quick reminder, next week is our 25th anniversary party. Yeah, thank you. I was going to woo-woo myself, but I didn't, didn't feel like I had that register in my voice just yet. But uh, I really am looking forward to it, so make sure that's on your calendar uh, be sure to be here. Uh, bring a friend, uh, bring a family member, uh, bring a stranger if you meet one. Uh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a great time uh, next week. Both um, looking back at where the Lord has has brought us from, and also looking forward to where we feel that the Lord is is taking us to. Twenty um, fifth uh, anniversary is is uh, is a big one to celebrate, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So today. Uh, we're going to look at the Lord of the Rings. So if you're familiar with it, um, it was a, a novel that, uh, it was, it's one novel technically, although it's in three volumes, uh, three parts, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien taught at Oxford University. He was an English professor. Um, he taught during the mid-20th century. Uh, his colleagues at Oxford at the time included C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams and Dorothy Sayers. Uh, they liked to hang out at a little pub called the Eagle and Child there in Oxford. Um, they had a writing group known as the Inklings. Uh, Tolkien uh, was a genius. Um, he was a very devout Catholic, and uh, his faith can be seen kind of in his story writing. Uh, he was very committed to kind of writing for the English people some folklore. And he, he, he didn't want his, his novel to be seen just as an allegory, although it's kind of hard not to see it that way because um, there are different types of, of people in it. There are elves and dwarves and humans and uh, uh, goblins and trolls and these creatures called hobbits. Hobbits are kind of, um, they're little, uh, they stand about three feet tall, and they have hairy feet, and they're very agrarian, um, they're very green, they, they like things to grow, and they nurture them, kind of a, a, a simple uh, farm-based uh, people group. And what's interesting about them is they become the heroes of the story. Um, there's a line in the film where uh, Gandalf, who is uh, this kind of powerful wizard, is kind of speaking to Galadriel, who's this kind of very powerful elf queen. And he says, you know, the evil one, or, or excuse me, um, the, the, the head wizard, his name's Saruman, he says he thinks that evil can only be resisted by great force. But I don't know that that's true, he says. It's not necessarily resisted just by great force. It's also resisted in, in the simple things, um, the, the basic things. I, I think this, 
uh, couldn't be more true, right? Um, George Eliot in her novel, Middle March, says something similar, that the world as we experience is not as bad as it might have been had it not been for the hidden lives of some. You know, people that we'll never hear about, we'll never know their name, we'll never hear their story. They're kind of buried in unmarked tombs, but they were people of integrity. They were people who acted with kindness. They were people who showed love, and we are all better for it. And the, the, the hobbits are kind of a version of that. They kind of, they kind of represent this, um, this life where um, we have uh, the influence of kind of, of insignificance, right? The, the, the power of insignificance, which is, which is really quite which is really quite powerful. There's a, there's a poem about the, the Lord of the Rings that, that says this. It talks about the different rings. Um, three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in the halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. Um, uh, just to tell you how much of a nerd I am and how much of a nerd that I have raised uh, as a father, I first read The Lord of the Rings when I was in college and then I reread them uh, to, at that time we only had Katie in my mid-20s, and I, re I read them out loud, all, all three, which took us a while to work through that. Um, and then I, I read them again, maybe in my 30s. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't attempted to read it a fourth time. But um, it had such an impact on Katie, my, my, my eldest daughter, that not only did she know that little poem and she could recite it, she, she knew it in English and in Elvish, which is a made-up language that the author... The author made up a language, a whole language, and, and she, learned the, she learned the poem in Elvish, which I think is ridiculous. But I want, I want to show you a clip. It's the opening to the, 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 the first installment. So there's three installments. There's the Fellowship of the Ring. It's kind of a group of men and elves and dwarves and hobbits who are taking this one ring of power, that which represents kind of evil, the ultimate evil, and they're they've been tasked with destroying it. Uh, and then the second volume was The Two Towers. Um, I should know their names, Barador and Orthnak, I think. And they kind of represent these kind of two ultimate sources of, of evil. And then lastly, the last volume was The Return of the King. And you can start to hear the kind of Christian influence there that um, there's an expectation that someone will come who will deliver us all from evil. Um, and of course, we know that to be Jesus Christ, but in the story, his name was Aragorn. And so what, what I want to kind of share with you today is uh, how I understand kind of the, in a way, the various heroes of the film and how that both connects to this passage of scripture that we read from Revelation chapter 11 and how it might um, relate to our own lives. So on the one hand, 
there's definitely kind of these obvious heroes in this story, and uh, two in particular, I think, that um, exhibit almost like a Christ-like uh, character. So one of them is Gandalf. He's kind of, he's wise, and he kind of represents kind of the, the prophetic role of, of Christ, where he kind of, he can speak um, truth, and he can kind of give this kind of wisdom, um, just, just so you don't kind of get lost uh, too much in how obvious some of these connections are. Gandalf's character kind of fights this kind of evil demon figure, and he dies, and then he gets resurrected, and he comes back, and he was Gandalf the Grey, and now he's Gandalf the White. He comes riding in on a white horse to kind of save the day. Uh, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, then you, you, should, you should read the book of Revelation more often um, because uh, the source material for, for Tolkien's uh, English folklore, uh, amongst other things, was definitely scripture, right? You can see the influence there. And then the other is, is a character named Aragorn who is the descendant of of Isidore. Isidore is the guy who kind of cut the ring off of, of Sauron, the bad guy. We just saw it there. And then thousands of years later, um, his descendant is, is kind of lost, right? He's kind of uh, riding in, in the wilderness, and he's the one who's supposed to come, but he's kind of, kind of detached. And so, in the process of, of people finding the one ring and it needing to be destroyed, it, he kind of comes to the fore. And in, in the third installment, The Return of the King, the king that is returning is Aragorn. And so he comes back. And now uh, in the end, spoiler alert, um, the, the one ring is destroyed and Aragorn is kind of crowned as king. And certainly, that is very much a, a Christ, a Christ figure. There's, there's one scene, um, we're not going to show it today, but there's one scene that sounds a lot like Ezekiel 37, like you go through the valley of the shadow of death, and um, an army is formed from the dead, you know, you know the, the, the bone, the dry bones, you know that story from Ezekiel, the dry bones that come. So there's a, there's a story like that here where Aragorn kind of goes, goes through this valley and he calls an army that was dead to kind of come and fight for him. And it wins the, not the ultimate battle, but the penultimate one. And that's, that's another way in which this, um, uh, this, this story kind of reflects the gospel. So you know, it starts with this idea that there is this ultimate evil and we can kind of fight it with force. And so there was this grand battle from, you know, generations ago. But now they've realized when the story comes around here that you can't use force to kind of overcome evil because in the process of doing so, you yourself become evil. So if you use evil in the process of destroying evil, evil itself gets to continue. It doesn't continue in the other, but it does continue in us. So, so that's, that's the danger. And that's the lesson that they've learned, that they're not going to overcome because it looks like from this first scene you saw, 
the bad guy was destroyed. But it turns out he too kind of comes back. But ultimately, he does get vanquished, but he doesn't get vanquished by the use of force. He gets vanquished by the force of sacrifice, by someone kind of giving up, someone letting go. And that's the lesson, I think, that we all have to learn. Uh, we, the, the free people of Middle Earth, um, just, just again, just so you don't, don't miss the obvious um, nature of this. In, in an old cosmology, if heaven is up and hell is down, what's in the middle? Earth, right, Middle Earth. That's, that's where it comes from. It's in, the, it's in the middle, right? There's this idea of angels, a.k.a. elves, and there's this idea of, of orcs, kind of a.k.a. demons, but then most, most all other creatures kind of occupy this kind of middle space. And it's in that middle space that we find kind of Gandalf, kind of the old wizard with the long hair and the long beard and the pointed hat, the very fact that wizards have pointed hats, by the way, um, I think did originate with this story. Like wizards didn't have pointed hats until Tolkien wrote his story, and now that's become a trope for what wizards look like. There are many who live uh, who deserve death and many who die who deserve life. None of us want difficult times, but in the times that we have, we have an opportunity to respond. And there, there are these characters in this story that you would think would be the ones who could save the day, right? They're strong, they're powerful, they're wise, but, but they don't. So one of them is Saruman, who is like Gandalf's mentor, right? So here's the powerful guy, and his, his mentor ends up being complicit with evil. Complicity, you free people of Middle Earth, is one of the great temptations of our lives. Like, there's, there's evil out there, and it's, it's kind of all around us. And it takes shape in, in so many different ways. And it's, it's quite obvious, but we still, we still are complicit in it. Um, sexism and the way in which women get marginalized. Racism and the way in which people of certain races get taken advantage of. Uh, classism and the way in which um, uh, poverty kind of is inflicted on, on certain folks. We had a, a speaker at the university uh, last week and um, he was been a pastor in Charlotte and his church was kind of right on the border of a very affluent neighborhood and a neighborhood that was uh, very kind of economically deprived. And he said that in, just across the street from the church that 88% of the children were not reading at grade level at third grade. That, that's crippling, right? And so there, there's this way in which... Um, the way in which our world works kind of prefers some over others, and we somehow participate in that. And Saruman, this great and powerful wizard, who could have 
resisted the evil one, Sauron, instead joins forces with him. This, this sounds a lot like a, not the passage in Revelation that we read, but two chapters later in chapter 13, it says, who can resist the power of the beast? Well, listen, my friends, we are called to resist and not be complicit. And that's one of the ways in which the hobbits become the, the evil one and he will flee. Like, we don't have to give in to temptation. We can live holy lives. And I think we are called to that. There's another, there's another temptation beyond complicity, and that temptation is, is um, denial. We want to just deny that this is the case, that, that things aren't as bad as what they look, that, um, yeah, you know, they said this or they did that, but it's, it's really not that bad. And we find ourselves kind of, um, I don't know, like, like a turtle withdrawing into their shell. We, we, we just withdraw from society so that, and this is, I have to be careful when I say this because I, I might insult myself. Um, but we, we, we get into our own little communities, right? So, you know, we homeschool our kids and I teach at a private Christian college that literally has a fence around it. We've kind of fenced out the neighborhood. Um, and so, and I pastor a church. So, you know, physician, heal yourself. <laughs> but as, as opposed to kind of giving in to denial, and there's, a, there's, there's another kind of grand character. He's, a, he's the horse lord. He's like the king of the horse people. His name is uh, Theoden. Uh, Theoden kind of denies the truth, but the hobbits will speak the truth. Like, the way we combat denial is with the truth itself. Like, we, we have to believe it, and, and we have to embrace it, and, and we have to speak it. Look, the truth is not just an idea. The truth is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And so as opposed to being complicit, we should be resistant. And as, as opposed to kind of denying the way things are, we need to speak the truth and say, no, 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 this, are, this is the way things are, but it's not the way things have to be. And that's the truth. So, so we can be a community. We can be a community that cares for others. And maybe especially we can be a community that cares for those that our culture doesn't care for. I know it's easy to kind of look at our culture, to look at our world, and to despair. Right? I was driving home yesterday. We'd, we'd taken the kids to their volleyball game, and we're driving through this part of town, and I noticed this little grocer that was just packed out. Like, I couldn't believe how many cars on a Saturday afternoon were in this little, this one little grocery store that was mostly surrounded by um, industrial buildings. And then it struck me how many homes were in that, that neighborhood and how few um, grocers there were. Like, that section of town minus that one little grocery would be like a, a food desert. Like, 
I live a life that is so comfortable that that the access to food is something I never think about. You know, my access to food is I, I look in the refrigerator and it's not there. And I think, oh, well, let me go to my other refrigerator that's in the garage and I'll get it out of that one. That's, that's my challenge. Like if it's not in the cupboard in the kitchen, then I go to the second cupboard that's in the laundry room, right? That's, that's how, how nice that, that, that I get to live. But, but here's the thing. Um, we don't have to give in to despair. We actually do serve a God who created all things and has created things that there is enough to go around. We, we actually have an abundance of stuff. It's not a resource problem. It's a distribution problem. And we can look forward to a time that all of those needs will be met. I mean, it is what we pray. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's how Jesus taught us to pray. And I think it is what we can hope for. And it's at this time that I think it's not the king that we need, like Aragorn, or it's not the prophet that we need, like Gandalf. What we really need is Christ the priest, the one who intercedes for us. And if there's a character in the story that has that functionality, it's probably Sam, uh, Frodo's best friend, the one who is always with him and always kind of stands beside him and always kind of intercedes for him. Sam is Angela's kind of favorite character in the story, right? And I, and I can see why, right? Because, because unlike, say, um, Denethor, if I had his name right, who is this, again, this powerful man, this steward. He has this, this military at his disposal, and he kind of sits on his own little throne kind of at this kind of capital city. But he is utterly filled with despair. He's so filled with despair that he, he's ready to die and kind of kill his son in the process. But again... Unlike the, the complicity of a, of a wizard or the denial or the despair of human kings, there, there is this just normal way of being a human, this everyday life that these, kind of, these hobbits, these little characters, um, uh, portray for us. That there, it, is a, it is a better way of living. And that is to resist evil, to speak the truth, and to lean into hope and not give in to despair. And the good news is we don't have to be the Savior. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. The good news is we, we don't have to be a king, right? We have a king. His name is Jesus. And to kind of to put a bow on it, in Revelation 11, with that vision that John has of those two witnesses, 
those two witnesses are witnesses of Jesus Christ. I think that's what their witness is. But they function a lot like Jesus. You know, Jesus is a prophet. And it says that they can shut up the sky so it won't rain, which sounds like Elijah. And they can turn water to blood, which sounds like Moses. So that they function kind of prophetically like Jesus does. And we know that Jesus is a king. And these, these witnesses are called olive trees, anointed ones, which is the language out of the Old Testament given to the Christ, the Messiah is the anointed one. In fact, two anointed ones comes out of Zechariah 4 where the priest Joshua and the prince or king Zerubbabel are called God's anointed ones. But what's interesting about these witnesses is that you might expect witnesses who are priestly like Joshua or, or like Sam <laughs> or kingly like Zerubbabel or like Aragorn. You might expect witnesses to testify, but these witnesses prophesy. And so what we see in the witnesses is that they are living a life that is mimicked after the one that they are witnessing. Like if they're witnessing Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king, they are functioning prophetly, kingly, and priestly. And I think that's exactly what we are called to do. If I can add a, a, a fourth category to the, the complicit, as opposed to complicitness, we want to offer resistance as, as opposed to denial. We want to offer truth as opposed to despair. We want to offer hope. If, if I can add a, a fourth one to that, we, we don't want to judge. We want to be witnesses because we have a judge. And again, his name is Jesus. So God doesn't need us to serve as judge. That's his job. What he does call us to do, though, is to be good witnesses, to, to bear witness to the truth and to be uh, faithful. To, to maintain a faithful witness. Shortly after this section that Ray read for us about the witnesses, it says this about them, that they were able to conquer the evil one. Not Sauron, but the devil. And they did it not by melting a ring in a volcano. They did it by the blood of the lamb, that is, Jesus died, by the word of their testimony, because as witnesses, they, they do testify prophetically, but they do testify. And by loving their lives, not even unto death, meaning that they, they maintained their testimony. They were faithful. Again, they had hope in the faith of despair. They spoke truth in the, in the face of denial. And they, they lived a life of resistance as opposed to just being complicit. Yeah, there's so much to learn, I think, from, from good fiction, like the Lord of the Rings. Because I think 
it is just a very creative way of telling the truth of the oldest story that we have, which is the story of our God and who he is and what he's up to and who he's created us to be and how we are to live in this world. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.